Hello. Yum. Hello, and welcome Hello. to A Drink to the Past, the only podcast in the world where I drink this much beer all at once. Hopefully not all at once. I, I I'm going to start with this much, and, and we'll see where it goes. <laughs> this is the look, second biggest mug to ever appear on this podcast. They look almost identical. Right? It's in size. Pretty close, but this one's <laughs> slightly thinner, so I'm not sure actually how large this one is. Uh, buddy gave this to me when I played the bagpipes at his wedding, and he was like, I will pay you in free food and a beer mug, and I was like, all right. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> yeah, not too bad. All right. Um, Chris, what you drinking today? Uh, I'm drinking a good old standby, a graham cracker porter. That's and a good it's one. tasting pretty good tonight. Yeah, we all like that one. Uh, Nick, what you drinking? Just a filthy Coors. Filthy, filthy Coors. How dare you besmirch my podcast. <laughs> well, that's what I'm here for. All that's right. what I'm good for. Um... Uh, Taylor, what you drinking? I am drinking a quality Guinness Extra Stout. There you go. You guys are put to shame. Well, Chris's is fine. Um, but um, yeah. Also, welcome back, Taylor. Uh, it's been a, quite a while since you, we've had you on the podcast. We, so it has been a while. Yeah, it's been going to be a ton of fun. All right. So uh, my beer of the week is the uh, Logical Fallacy Stout from the Very Nice Brewery. Which is up in uh, Nederland, Colorado. So, Ooh. Just up there. Little mountain town in the middle of nowhere. It's an awesome place. And uh, they have a very nice brewery. I know because that's the name of the brewery. <laughs> like That is like the best brewery name ever. Sam. Logical Fallacy South. That, that's, that's a good name for a stout. So, yeah. All right. Well, if you get too far ahead in drunkenness of me, maybe I'll uh, break out the Jameson. Sweet. All right. Well, will be a contest. You been pre-gaming yet? Or, uh, I always have <laughs> band practice <laughs> before the uh, podcast, so I'm usually pre-gaming at least one or two beers. So. Yeah, no, I pre-gamed it by uh, actually eating, so uh, tomorrow morning I won't feel like crap. Yeah, that helps. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good beer. Hmm. It's really good. Like an oatmeal stout kind of characteristics, so it's kind of heavy in the mouthfeel. Very good. Um, I like that. Yeah. All right. So let's get into what you're playing, which is the part of the podcast where we just talk about the random whatever video games we've been playing uh, through the week. So, uh, Taylor, you haven't been on in a while, probably since we started doing the what you're playing segment anyways. So why don't you go first? What you been playing? I've been playing. Playing uh, whatever I have time for, but uh, a lot of that right now is focused into Solaris, which is kind of like a 4X uh, space game, kind of mm -hmm. like Civilization Solaris. Space. I've heard a lot of different uh, people talk up that game. It sounds kind of neat. It is really, really good, and uh, it goes into a lot of the projects that I'm working on, so it uh, helps to be able to actually play the game. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. I, I definitely recommend for anybody who likes civilization type games or empire management type games. It's a lot of fun mm -hmm. and there's so much to it. It's a very different game from when it first came out. It's got a lot of DLC and stuff and a huge modding. Game, so Sweet. definitely worth picking up. Awesome. All right. Uh, Chris uh, is obviously playing Minecraft right now. You can see him live on the stream if you're watching our YouTube uh, version of this here podcast and if not then that's okay because we like Podbean too so 
<laughs> Listen to us wherever. Like and subscribe and all that jargon that I'm supposed to say at the start of every episode that I usually forget. I or usually forget end. it, so I have to drink. Okay. Drink card here, so you can drink along at home if you're if you're following the YouTube version. I'll give you a visual cue of when to drink. Uh, so, Chris, what else have you been playing other than Minecraft? Uh, let's see. I started Dead by playing... daylight. Called it. Mm-hmm. Uh, been playing a lot started, of that for you. I started playing Kenshi again. Okay. Oh man. Oh, Ghost of uh, Tsushima. That's another one. Oh yeah. Cool. Been hearing lots of good stuff about that one too. I haven't got it yet though. I've been Very continuing good. to play Age of Empires too. Yes. Mm. Classics. And uh, I started playing, of all things, I started playing Skullgirls again. Huh. Uh, which one? The. The latest one which that one? came out. Second Encore, whatever it's called. Oh okay. You didn't dig out your PS3. <laughs> no, I, I'm like. PS3, pretty dead. I got I got it for Steam, so I got I've been playing that there against uh, her buddy Josh. Nice. All right, uh, Nick, what you been playing? Anything cool? Nope, I've really been doing new stuff mm -hmm. lately. Besides right. Age of Empires 2, All Definitive right. Edition. Cool. I played a little bit of some of the Age of Empires games way back when. Um, not really my thing. I'm not big into any kind of real-time strategy, really. But they, they were kind of neat. They had, the, I, I thought the the gimmick that you you know go through the ages was kind of cool. Um, but just kind of not really my game. So. Yeah, I know as a kid, my head was just too fuzzy to really grasp that game. But now that you know I have mm -hmm. a fully developed brain, I can actually play it with a modicum of decency, which is right. nice. So it's like I'm playing it for the first time. I mm -hmm. do. As a kid, I do tend to love real-time strategy games, even though I am so so bad at them. <laughs> I grew up on them, so it's something that it's like living in my blood. I I grew up like next to them because my brothers were good at them, and so when I did play, I right. would always like lose to my brothers. <laughs> who are uh, That's not a good four and eight I, I years older than me, respectively. So. I, yeah. I understand that experience. Had a bit of the mental advantage there, being so much older. I was just like, I don't know, like almost about to start making something cool, just trying to learn the game every time. I feel like, and then, whoops, here's seven thousand zerglings. Okay, now that's just a rude person to play with. <laughs> yeah, but Tom that's, has been that's much more. My my <sighs> brother being eight I think years that's my how, senior. I think that's how brothers thing. work. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that's his brothers. Yeah, you you learn oh, by no. dying repeatedly. <laughs> Having a brother makes every game Dark Souls. <laughs> it all makes sense now. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, myself, I got back into Doom Eternal a little bit, and uh, not too much though, because I got distracted because I uh subscribe to the trial of Xbox Game Pass for PC just to see if all that was kind of cool and it's it's a pretty cool service because it, it's cheap and it's got a bunch of games so I was like there's several games on the list that I was thinking of buying anyway and I was like if I could try them all for a buck for the first month then why not right so um, I first played Ape Out which is a kind of a crazy little indie game where you're like an some kind of ape just trying to escape 
uh, from somewhere, and there's like not to be confused with Ape Escape. Not, <laughs> I was just yeah. thinking. <laughs> no, yeah. Uh, go back to a codec call in MGS3 where <laughs> Snake talks to uh, talks to Zero about kind of like the the reference. It was funny, right? I mean, my understanding of Ape Out is that it's more like almost Hotline Miami esque. I don't know, because I still haven't played Hotline Miami, but it's... Uh, really? Yeah, uh, that's another one of those on my list of, oh yeah, I should get around to that, shouldn't I? <laughs> so, the second uh, one's really good. It's a very long mm-hmm. list. I, I played the Hotline Miami knockoff inside of Travis Strikes Again. Okay. <laughs> it's it's kind of the same, except not because it's, it's still Travis Strikes Again. You know, it's same gameplay, whatever game he's going into. It's, it changes up the level design a lot, which ends up being really cool. I, I like that game for that, but uh, it's probably not the same thing. But yeah, Ape Out is really cool uh, just because it's got the like the the perspective kind of changes as you're going through the level, and so it's like got almost this kind of dynamic lighting system almost based on where you're positioned. So it's a, it's a really just a trippy game to look at graphically, and just rocking out with my headphones just the the soundtrack is killer it's awesome um and then the other game that i tried out was hellblade uh which is yeah totally awesome but it uh kind of gave me a kick in the butt and told me hey hey you need to upgrade your pc because i like i started it and it was like running probably five fps it was awful uh and i i turned the graphics all the way down to low and then it played like playably like usually 30 ish with dips so i was like it's not a great experience but it's not the game's fault it's my pc's fault so i was like it and, and even in in these circumstances it's like it still is really fun to play uh super engaging um i could not recommend it enough and then it's it's weird though because it's a fairly short game because i got to uh pretty close to the final boss i'm not sure if i was on the final boss or if there's like another boss after this it's got more forms or something but it just like my computer would not have it anymore because i'm playing through this boss fight and first the game just just closed and i'm like what was that that's that's weird and then i booted it up again and tried the boss fight again and my computer crashed i was like okay okay hellblade i I get what you're telling me i I need a new graphics card it's okay i'll suck it up eventually (laughs) so um that's one issue i have with pc gaming right now is that i need to upgrade apparently so but uh even so it's like a great game and i'm like Maybe I'll just buy it on PS4 <laughs> so I don't have to worry about upgrading my stuff or That's something. That's what consoles are for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. True. All right. And I guess that takes us out of uh, what you plan so we can get to the news and booze. Uh, so first of all, I guess we've all said what we're drinking already, so uh, we can go ahead and do our good old beer reviews. Uh, Nick, what do you rate that Coors, you heathen? Um... um. 18. It's a scale of 3 to 17, Nick. It doesn't go to 18. And it's Coors. I know I know it's not that high. You're trolling, bro. <laughs> or you're just really drunk. Like, if you're, if you're drunk enough to legitimately give it an 18, then my hat is off to you. If you're drunk enough to uh, give Coors an 18, 
<laughs> no. Yes, maybe skip me. It's it's not the greatest. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Taylor, what do you rate that Guinness on a scale of three to seventeen? Um, Guinness, I would say probably about a fourteen. Mm-hmm. It's not the greatest of beers, but it's no slouch either. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's good. It's nice and smooth. Um, I wouldn't say it really gets you drunk. It's not a beer to really right like get drunk with, but like, it's a good beer to have a social occasion with. Yeah, chat it up. Or maintain yeah, yeah. it. I love Guinness for that because it's like it's it's available most places, mm-hmm. and it's like con- coming from like big heavy craft stouts. It's like lightweight comparatively. So. Yeah, definitely, definitely lightweight. And your bi- so wife knows that you like it, so she buys it. There you my go. My wife does See? buy me Guinness. <laughs> You're on the and podcast. You have to drink. <laughs> go make me Cheers. my drink then. Inside. I'm, I'm I mean, a podcast. You, you can't really go wrong it's with just Irish orange beer. juice and vodka. You can make it yourself. <laughs> oh, screwdriver. <laughs> yeah, see, Nick knows what we're talking about. All right, jungle juice. I'm a mixed drink guy, not a beer guy. Right, uh, Chris. What do you rate uh-huh. your graham cracker porter? Ah, uh, fifteen. Graham cracker porter is always a always a good thing. Mm-hmm. And my wife has now got a truly hard seltzer, which is. I'm told better than the Bud Light ones. Fuck yes. Well, clearly your wife is amazing because she knows what she's doing. So, <laughs> the Bud Light ones were like on sale or something. Yeah, they were and, on sale and I had a coupon. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> apparently they're not good. They're, I'm like, like not into hard seltzer myself. It was literally the most bland thing I've ever drank, like other than water. And it but was did it get you off. there? But did it get you drunk? No. <laughs> oh okay. Well, probably taste worse than this water. This is so much better. My wife is drinking. You have to drink. It's, it's the rules. It's a rarity. <laughs> See, I drink when I choose to, okay. which is all the damn time. So. I, I play by the rules until I'm too drunk to play by the rules. Right. <laughs> I play the by the rules as long as the rules are drink. Anyways, uh, we were talking about news and booze kind of vaguely, and then we forgot to actually talk about the news and booze. So let's get into the news and booze. Oh, yeah, we were doing beer reviews first. So my beer, um, this is, I forgot what this was called already, and I closed the thing where I wrote down what it was called, but it's good. Very it's, nice it is from a something logical. Yeah, logical, logical fallacy. fallacy. There we go. Logical yeah. Fallacy. Um, yeah, this is a really good, really good stout. I'm going to give this uh, 15. Mm-hmm. All right. Very, very good stout. So check them out if you happen to be in a random mountain town in Colorado that happens to be that particular random mountain town. Anyways, let's get into the news part of news and booze. Uh, Bethesda has announced that Doom Eternal and Elder Scrolls Online are coming to PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X. And if you already got them or if you buy them now on Xbox One or PS4, you get a free upgrade. So that's kind of cool. I got my first PS5 game already. I own Doom Eternal. I own uh, Elder Scrolls Online and still have not touched it to this day. <laughs> nice. <laughs> my brother, my brother tried to get me into it for a while, and honestly speaking, like I love the Elder Scrolls series, and right. I know at least one person I really, really do trust with gaming stuff has highly recommended it to me, especially as a fan of Elder Scrolls. It's just it's hard for me to get into a new MMO nowadays. And I, I don't have time to devote to it. And for a game like Elder Scrolls, with the kind of lore that it has, I kind of have to possess it. Mm-hmm. Still waiting for Elder Scrolls Six. 
Me too. We'll be that, that one I will. We'll be I will Because <laughs> they every time I see like a tweet or something from Bethesda or, or whoever about Elder Scrolls, it's like, hey, there's a new Elder Scrolls, and I'm like, oh, it's Elder Scrolls, and they're like expansion for Elder Scrolls Online. I'm like, is that way what? Fuck or you, Elder man. Scrolls Marvel. <laughs> right? It's the yeah. Or the, free. It's Elder Scrolls Six. Here's the. Here's the. Because I gotta be a downer. Here's the pessimistic question. Do we trust them after Fallout 76? Yes. Not in online games. Yeah, yeah definitely not, not in online games. I mean, in the single-player oh. realm, like, they still make good stuff. Like, Doom Eternal's pretty great. Um, it's I don't think it's as good as Doom 2016, but, like, I like Doom Eternal. I like Doom 2016, obviously, and Rage 2 have been really good. I like all the other Fallouts that I've played, so... Uh-uh. One yeah, game that's, doesn't... That's like, everybody makes a screw-up. I mean, you know, in theory. I'd say it's, a, it's the same kind of argument that a lot of people have against Blizzard Entertainment, which I don't personally agree with, per se, is... You don't like, want to get yeah. me started on Blizzard. <laughs> well, it, you know what? And it, to each their own. Like, if, if that's your opinion, that's your opinion. I'm not going to fault you for it. But, like, the, the whole... You know, dropping into into a game because or into a company because they make a mistake or you know two or three mistakes or whatever is it, it's a little rough because you have a whole lineup of times where they didn't make those same mistakes. And I gotta say, like Bethesda, while they've definitely had kind of like a sh- shittier, uh, I can swear on the show, right? Yeah. <laughs> when they got I, a, I, it, it, yeah, it's fine. You can swear on the show. <laughs> when they, you know, Chris they, was the guy you know, that made that. <laughs> <laughs> definitely had a kind of a, a crappier way of dealing with situations and certain approaches to video game obviously has not been the greatest on their part but considering the lineup of games that they've had that are successes and really good games and, and good experiences compared to say you know the one or two experiences that haven't been so good i can't really fault bethesda as a company for that i can really only fault the decision making process that went into that one game so will I trust that they can make Elder Scrolls Six and make it really good? Absolutely. You know, will I know until it comes out? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's move on to our next well, piece of news and booze here, because uh, we've got quite a lot with the uh, PlayStation thing coming up. Uh, but next piece of news and booze is uh, Halo Infinite will have free-to-play multiplayer. What do you think about be. that? So the word free-to-play... <laughs> The word free to play gives me anxiety. Yeah, yeah. I'm a little Attached like leery about it, but at the same time, I'm like, sweet, I don't have to buy Halo to play Halo. That's kind of cool. But oh, that's what the announcement means. Okay, I was like, wait a minute, multiplayer in a in a Halo game is free to play. I mean, isn't that how it's always supposed to be? <laughs> right. Yeah. No. It's it's so it's like you know, Fortnite or something, uh, but just for the multiplayer. It sounds like you've still got to buy the game, or if you're subscribed to Xbox Game Pass, then it will just be added to the Game Pass collection. So uh, there's that. But to play just the multiplayer, you can just download it and play it, uh, which I am a little leery of that because just that business model makes me assume that there's going to be some kind of microtransactions and, you know, I'm like, is it going to be for just aesthetic shit? And then I'm like, I don't care. Right. If it's just aesthetics, whatever, go nuts. But if it's like, oh, you can only have one item, or you can, you know, pay two ninety nine to hold four grenades instead of two, then I'm just gonna, I'm gonna call bullshit on that. So, you know, I, 
so it's like hard to tell exactly before it actually comes out or they announce their full business model whether or not this is as shady as it could be because a lot of free-to-play models are really shady but it's not clear whether or not this one is yet then we shall play in the shade mm. I, I think we kind of have to tread carefully Bad pun, with that the means whole... we have to drink <laughs> hell yeah <laughs> it's the rules I don't make them up I'm kidding I totally I make up the rules <laughs> I, I think all made be, up. <laughs> I think we have to be careful when talking about free-to-play models being shady and such because at the end of the day, these companies do still have to make money. Yeah. And having worked for the video game industry in various ways over the course of my lifetime and career, I definitely know that there are some shitty ways of doing it. Yeah. However, comma, there's also sometimes it comes into play where it's like we still have to develop this game. You still have to look at the game as a as a business choice as a business opportunity yeah. and and a product and at the end of the day obviously you know there are certain things that should not be done with with how free to play games work but they uh, on the other hand of the spectrum they still have to make money somehow yeah. and these games are still developed there's still work put into them and you can't look and obviously in the case of halo infinite i think you know, sales of the single-player game are really what's meant to drive that, and so I wonder if there's going to be microtransactions beyond, say, the aesthetics of it. Yeah, because I don't know, because, like, I kind of play Halo more or less equally for the story as well as yeah. the multiplayer. I don't, I don't but I've never I feel like Halo there's... Halo the multiplayer, so yeah, I'm right there with you. Yeah, but I feel like generally people play it more for the multiplayer, but... I, I could be wrong. I'm not totally sure. But that's the feeling I get with a lot of people is that they're more there for the multiplayer. With Halo? Yeah. Yeah, I think with Halo specifically, there's so many multiplayer games out there already. The only thing that's going to set it apart is its universe that you're playing in. Mm -hmm. I think I think later Halo games that may apply to since people were not mm -hmm. so happy with 343 Industries' take on the Halo series. Yeah. But, but that being said, I think from like Halo 1 through 3... A lot of people played Halo because not for the multiplayer. That's what kept them interested. But yeah. the uh, the game itself, a lot of them played for the story. Yeah, and like there are so many devoted Halo story fans out there. Mm -hmm. And me being one of them, like I've never really enjoyed Halo for the gameplay specifically. I've always enjoyed Halo for its war for its uh, universe. Yeah. So speaking that of is, Halo, go ahead. That's Chris. actually something I have. I have difficulty understanding hmm. is Halo? That, uh, <laughs> no, and enjoying a game not for its gameplay, but for its story? Hmm. I'm a writer. That's why I can do it. it may, okay. M makes sense. Yeah, I don't know. I can... For, I feel like, for me, gameplay has to be, like... Playable. Playable. Yeah, it, it still has yeah. to be fun at the end of the day, because, like... I've had games with, like, good stories that, like, the gameplay isn't all that great, that I'm just, like, you know, let whatever. me let but me then ask you this, I have right? games like Metroid Other M is a weird one for me, that I love the gameplay in that, and the story is terrible, but I'll still play it all day, because it's fun. Let, let, me, let me ask you this for, for the fact that you say so you don't understand it, but, like, let's, let's compare games. So, like, Halo 1 and Ocarina of Time. Now, Ocarina of Time revolutionized a lot of things in terms of gameplay for video games as a whole. 
Halo 1, you can't make that same argument. Halo 1, um, I'm going to be quite frank here, was not revolutionary in almost any way. Apart it's from a, it having a fully like a fully realized story that was not as prevalent back then, except with series like maybe Fable or, or Zelda, that kind of stuff. Um, or any Final Fantasy. Right, any Final Fantasy. So, like, you know, apart from those major series, like most games you played for the gameplay, as you said. Mm -hmm. And Halo 1 really was just a mishmash of, you know, every shooter out there that you've ever played. Doom, you know, it was a big one. Um, I want to say, like, outside of the, I think the multiplayer was a big thing. I think the multiplayer of Halo 1 was not necessarily revolutionary, but it was definitely something that caused a lot of people to start thinking about multiplayer being a core component of their games. It was the um, next iteration of uh, GoldenEye. Right. And, and, I, and I will say, too, like, Halo 1 wasn't really the biggest proponent of that. It was really more along the lines of Halo 2 being a proponent of that. Um, but, yeah, you, you play Halo 1, and honestly speaking, like, when I played through that game, I was like, this is really just a whole mishmash of, of shooters I've already played. And I enjoy it. It wasn't a bad game by any stretch of the imagination. But there was nothing revolutionary done about it. So I was like, the gameplay, cool. It was fun. It was playable. It was, it was good. But what grabbed me? The story. Wow. You know, like, there's a lot of this stuff. Yes, it's tried and true science fiction tropes and things like that. But it was done really well, and, mm -hmm. and it grabbed me. That's what kept me playing. Yeah. Speaking of Halo, uh, Master Chief Collection is going to have cross-play later this year, plus keyboard and mouse support on Xbox One, and matchmaking that matches controller players with other controller players, and keyboard mouse players with other keyboard mouse players, so as to theoretically balance the respective playing fields. Uh, so I think this is kind of interesting, because having got Master Chief Collection last month, um, and been playing a bit of online with a controller on the PC version. I do okay with a controller. I don't think it makes as much different as PC people like to claim. Like, I'm, I'm sure that it makes some amount of difference at super high competitive levels, but in random online matchmaking, I feel like it doesn't matter that much. Yeah, For Honor comes into the same question for that, uh, you know, because if you play For Honor on PC, you can use a controller for that too, which is what I do. I use controller, I don't use mouse and keyboard. Mm -hmm. Mouse keyboard for that kind of game is just super clunky to me. But the argument definitely can be made that it does make a difference because, you know, if you play For Honor with mouse and keyboard, you can definitely react to stuff a lot quicker than you can with, with uh, mm -hmm. controller. But at the end of the day, like in most matches, not going to make a whole bit of difference. Right, yeah. It's like, if you have a good controller player and a good keyboard and mouse player, I feel like they're going to be closely matched most of the time. Maybe the keyboard and mouse will have advantages in certain scenarios, but especially in games like Halo, I don't think it's all that important, because Halo is not a big tactical shooter. Like, unless you're exclusively playing in, like, SWAT or something then yeah, Ray then you probably have like yeah then you you might have a, a distinct advantage but still it's like i don't know it's especially in halo i don't think it's a huge thing um but i am excited about the crossplay because my brother's got it on xbox one and i got it on pc so now i can play with my brother and that'll be great because i have like replaying all the halo games since i bought master chief collection i've just been like 
I don't want to drive the warthog. I want to sit in the gun turret. Damn it. <laughs> so. Oh, argument, argument for Stellaris. For those of you who haven't played it yet, you can totally recreate the Halo universe with that game, and it's great. Nice. All right. And Stellaris is very versatile with how it implements sci-fi tropes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even have Dyson swarms in their practical. I created ring worlds at the core edges of the galaxy and like different corners of the galaxy. There's just like a claim that they were the installations from Halo. Great. <laughs> but could nice. they shoot the whoop all life in the galaxy? No, I needed to get a Titan for that. <laughs> oh. But it still Dressed. worked. It still irradiated the crap out of a world. <laughs> uh, next piece of news and booze, Microsoft xCloud will be launching September 15th exclusively on Android. I didn't see that coming. I, I was like, I, I was like, I thought it would come to you know Xbox and PC, but but it's coming to Android first. So I think that's kind of neat. Uh, I I'm guessing that this is some amount of them like. I feel like they have to be fairly confident that this streaming game service will work well on mobile, and if they show off that in a way that like catches wind i feel like it'll do really really well on on the mobile platform um and if it does really well on the mobile platform then i can only imagine it'll probably do better once it comes to pc and console so no actually i could really see that taking off because i know a lot of people struggle with their home internet for streamers especially because mm-hmm. upload speeds are so crap in various areas of the country yeah mobile connections may be superior and enable people to stream who couldn't before it's mm. a good point yeah, um, so I think I want to give it a try when it comes out and just see if it's, like, it can't be worse than Stadia, so <laughs> I'll take it, probably. You know, I'll, I'll see how it is, and I'll, I'll let you guys know. Uh, but an interesting just note on this, that it's not launching on Apple, and apparently Apple's press release about that was like, oh, we don't have the time to review all of the games on the service to make sure they meet our quality standards and i'm like bs you're apple you have you have fuck you money <laughs> right You'd, if they wanted well, yeah, this if they on have their fuck you money if they spend it all saying fuck you yeah but like terms if <laughs> like, we like to me the fact that they aren't going out of their way to like make this competitive with Android kind of says to me that they just don't want the service on their phones, which to me is like a big... I, I think that's stupid. I, th- I think, like, it's easy money, you know, because they're just making money from Microsoft, you know, putting it on their platform, theoretically. And well, maybe they're just bad and they're still running on, you know, the gas that Steve Jobs left in the brilliance tank. <laughs> Something. And they haven't added anything yeah. to it since then. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't use Apple anyway, uh, so not really going to be my problem. But uh, I, I'm an Apple man, so I'm crying. <laughs> uh, you can't play Xbox games on your phone, and I can. Ha. That's that's okay. Yeah. I'll play it on my actual PC. That'll work better. Yeah. Probably, I'm certain. Anyways, uh, then there was an inexplicable Pikmin 3 Deluxe announcement. Nobody saw that coming. I mean, everybody saw that coming. It's been rumored for years. Wait, there's never a Pikmin 3? Yeah, there was a Pikmin 3 on Wii U. 
Nobody knew about it because it was on did Wii you U. Buy it, the Wii U. I did. <laughs> yeah. Just, just me. I was the I guy. I feel bad because I missed so many games. I actually like. Right. <laughs> College. <laughs> cool egg. Yeah. So uh, Pikmin Three, I thought was uh, pretty good when it came out. I didn't play a ton of it. I'm not like my wife did. <laughs> She's yelling at me. Uh, yeah, like go Pikmin. <laughs> I but, love the Pikmin games. Yeah, um, yeah, Pikmin 3 was pretty fun, you know, lots of fun little puzzles and exploration and stuff, so. Uh, it's a fun game for Satanists, too, because you must sacrifice your Pikmin at certain points to progress. Yeah. For the greater good. <laughs> That's a Well, great Satanists way of are all about self-empowerment, so you can right. apply you that empower to all a lot of things. <laughs> That's true. In fact, by that extension of logic, most games are Satanists. You kill things and absorb their power for Why your you goals. Never mind, I'm not going to take care of it. <laughs> you, uh... You, you... Nick, all I'll say is... I am... You don't want to know how much of actual arguments I've read about shit like that. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to video game journalism. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so here's a funny one. Um, so, an, a well-known Irish author named John Boyne um, apparently accidentally used a recipe from Breath of the Wild when one of his characters was explaining how to make dyes for dressmaking. So, Can someone play the Nelson Munzlaff? <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be pretty good. Yeah, so apparently uh, this guy was like, did a quick Google search and uh, just put it in his book of like how to make red dye or, or whatever it was for the, the whatever kind of dye it was. And it's like he cited the ingredients as uh, keese wing, silent princess leaves, Hylian shrooms, and, and several other <laughs> little things from Breath of the Wild. Uh, so this is literally published in his new book The Traveler at the Gates of Wisdom so pre-order your copy before Nintendo gives him a cease and desist uh, <laughs> I think this I, is I, fucking I, hilarious I, I, I don't even know what they'd cease and desist him about I, I don't know if that breaks copyright or trademark I'm not sure if it does it but Nintendo is the kind of people that like puts the kibosh on fuck everything So I feel like they're gonna try and then fail, but they have to try to protect their copyright. Mm -hmm. if it's a, if it's that's a how trademarks happen. work, but yeah. it shouldn't have anything to do with trade. I don't think it has anything. I'm not a lawyer, right? But I don't think it has anything to what? do with trademark. I thought you were a lawyer. If it's a single passage, um, it's likely it would likely be more under fair use than mm -hmm. anything else, but. I, you know, as a writer myself, like, I can definitely identify with this guy in terms of having to use Google sometimes to look up stuff that we have no knowledge about but need to portray knowledge of in, yeah. in a novel. Oh, so he did yeah. it on accident? Yeah, that's yeah, uh, it what it said was he was just pretty much, like, looking up because the character had to make a red dress or something and was telling this other character how to make dye. And it's like, oh, yeah, you just put a key swing uh, into the Hylian shrooms. Yeah. <laughs> like, but I, how I, did he not recognize what a Hylian shroom was? Apparently well, he doesn't play video games, I guess. What the fuck is a keese? Like, that's yeah. not a bird. Is it a bird? <laughs> is it there, kind there of were different. Bird? Oh, God. Definitely some in indicators that uh, he might have been on the wrong track, but I, I gotta... He's in a rush. 
I do applaud the guy's response to it when yeah. he found it all out. And he, yeah, apparently he tweeted, well, I'm leaving this in because I gotta own up to my bullshit. Yeah, there was a, there was a uh, like conversation. Somebody interviewed him about it uh, when they found out, and uh, he was like, "Yeah, you know what? This is so funny. I'm just gonna leave it there. I don't even." Care. So he seems to be like taking this in a jovial mood. He's like, "Yep, I did something yeah. stupid, and I'm leaving it. I don't care." So I'm like, right, my hat's off. I'll drink to that guy. Yeah, I'll drink to that. He, he's a he's a true tried and true Irishman, uh, taking it in stride. There you go. Uh, Taiwanese rating board has posted a rating for No More Heroes One on Nintendo Switch. So that's a potential clue we might be getting a uh, port of No More Heroes One for Nintendo Switch, which was. Uh, in a interview a while ago with Suda51, he said that he was in talks to develop uh, ports of the first and second games uh, before. That was, I think, that was like right after No More Heroes Three was announced. So, uh, yeah. Well, at the very least, Taiwan's getting it. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm like, that's pretty much <laughs> so an indicator true. of that. But I'm just like, so they're gonna bring it to America, right? Because that would be a weird game to only produce in Taiwan. There is a lot of things have happened. Yeah. yeah. So I just love No More Heroes, and I just I I want to buy it. If it comes out, I'm buying it. So that's that's how that works. Anybody else? No More Heroes. Hell yeah! I talked about. Don't it a even lot, know what that is. It's a, it's a, one of the best games you will ever play on the original Wii. Yeah. I don't have a Wii. <laughs> Well, fortunately, with this port, you will not need one. I was like, what oh, about the time we played Wii in your basement? And then I remembered, oh, yeah, I brought my, my Wii over. My basement. Yeah, I think it was your basement. Maybe it was Rianne's You've basement. You've never been to my basement, Mr. Shaw. None of us have ever been to Nick's basement. I thought we went it's to Nick's good. house once or twice. But <laughs> it's possible that it's somebody else's house. Anyways, then I did realize that, in fact, wherever we were, I brought my Wii. So I was like, yeah. <laughs> Well, there you go. Except for at Chris's house, because Chris has a Wii. Yeah. I have, I have yeah. two Wiis. Two Wiis. Double One shotgun. of which works. Double fist. Yeah. All right. I'll, I'll drink to double fist. So much If I... Well... That's two fists in the air. Yeah, right. Moving on. Super Smash Brothers update 1.8... No, 8.1. Blech. Slip of the tongue. I have to drink. You just finished drinking. I'll drink to that. <sighs> Smash Brothers Ultimate Update 8.1. I almost said it wrong again. <laughs> Randomly Did happened you? last week, uh, so it includes a new stage, which is Small Battlefield, which is just kind of neat. Uh, so I booted it up just to it's see, and it's small. it's like Battlefield, but smaller. It's like it's only got two platforms instead of three. It was alright. I'm like the name wasn't wrong, <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm like. I'm not sure why this has to be a thing, but sure, okay, I'll take a free update, right, why not? And um, the other thing, there's a couple of little balance changes that I didn't really look at because I never look at the balance changes. I'm not going to stop playing Ike, uh, but um, the, mm. you can now select any of the 1200 plus music tracks to use on any of the Final Destination or Battlefield style stages. So that's cool. You can now actually use all of the music on on those stages. I'm like, that's pretty sweet. As opposed to the same song over and over. Again. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah. So, random little free update. 
Alright, and let's go into the biggie. So I'm going to go this a little bit rapid fire because there's a whole bunch of stuff for the PlayStation State of Play, which was yesterday. Um, they announced beforehand that they were going to have no new PS5 announcements, only some PSVR and some known PS5 games and some new PS4 stuff. So I thought that was kind of kind of nice that they kind of tempered expectations because I went into this expecting nothing and that's more or less what I got. There's a couple of neat things in here. But uh, Crash Bandicoot 4 was how they kind of kicked things off. So uh, anybody into Crash Bandicoot? Love me some Crash. Nice. Um, I've always like... Uh, it's about damn time is what I'm going to say. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I've... I've kind of been eyeing this series like from the side the entire time like when i was a kid i was just like i thought crash looked so fun uh but i didn't have a playstation for part of my childhood and then when i did i like could only get a handful of games you know you know how being a kid and allowances and stuff so i had yeah like i was more of a spyro guy than a crash guy um hitman 3 is coming out for playstation vr it's kind of neat, killing people in virtual reality. So you can get more into the mind of a murdering guy. Yeah, well, looks neat. For like, money. It wasn't that for much. Money. Very different. It wasn't that much gameplay. So it looks He's okay. a professional. Right? Yeah. It's like for business or for pleasure. They're completely different. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you murder for pleasure or do you murder for business? Yeah. Uh, different tone. Braid Anniversary Edition is coming out. My work. Uh, so it's the same game as the original Braid, but... Everything has been hand repainted for the 2020 run uh, release of this game. So it's going to be the 15 year anniversary of the original release of Braid. Uh, I really liked this game, but I feel like the sprite work was really cool. And particularly the main character looks kind of weird in all the original artwork. And I liked his sprite better than I did the uh, actual art. And now it looks like the actual art, so it's kind of weird. Um, but other than, like, all the environments and stuff, I think, look fantastic. Just the hand-painted look of them is phenomenal. Um, anything else on that? Okay. Uh, the Pathless was the next announcement. Actually, this was my favorite announcement of the show. It's coming out on PS5, I think, next year, they said. So it's this fast-moving archery game. Looks like it's open-world. And uh, you got an eagle that you can use like a paraglider, but it can flap. So, like, you can, like, literally fly with it to some extent. And as you go through the game, it, like, upgrades so you can fly more. So this looks really cool. Uh, just the art style is totally trippy. I'm digging it. Um, I, while I was watching this presentation and watching that, I, t I too, agree. This is one of my favorite. Um, it's actually my second favorite. Uh, mm -hmm. I think you're about to get to, to my favorite one. Okay. But, uh the uh the pathless definitely looks really really interesting yeah. and, I, and i was thinking myself while watching i was like you know even if this wasn't a game that i personally like would be my style of game to play it is easily one i could totally watch someone playing and be totally invested in and watch the game mm -hmm. i love it enjoy it i will say though all, all the ps5 games that they showed off during this presentation look like they could have been done on ps4 it's really weird, and I think that's mostly due to me having recently played Ghost of Tsushima and seeing what the PS4 is really, truly capable of. Right, yeah. That's kind of where like, I am, oh, like, with right. some of the... Because some of the higher-end PS4 games are, like, ridiculously good-looking. 
Uh, yeah. And, like, I feel like the high end of PS4 is better looking than the average PS5 game that we have announced at this point. And so, that, that's what I think. Yeah. And I think we're running into a situation that the Xbox ran into, where the Xbox mm-hmm. 360 got pushed out before the Xbox was really done. Like, a lot of game developers have talked about this over the years and where they wish that 360 had waited a couple of years because the Xbox really hadn't reached its full potential yet. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people were saying that, technically speaking, the Xbox was capable of doing a lot of what uh, many of the early to mid-game releases of the 360 had done. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I'm beginning to think about the PS4 the same way, especially after Tsushima release. I was like, is... Is the PS5 really necessary at this point? Because it seems like there are still things devs are kicking out from the PS4 that we've never seen before, that we haven't yeah. seen the truth above. Yeah, because I've I, been hearing I, that, a lot of that about Xbox Ghost of Tsushima, as well as like a couple of other games from just this year, uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake and um, um, The Last of Us Part Two are all, like, all three of those I have heard praised as the best-looking game of all time. And I'm oh, like, 100%. I'm just like... How many times have you heard that before? I mean, a lot, but, you know, <laughs> I feel like you could make a compelling argument for any one of them, because they, they all kind of di- have a different thing going for them graphically, so... Or Horizon Zero Dawn, which yeah. released, what, three years ago? Yeah, that was the and... uh, same year as Breath of the Wild, so yeah, 2017. Yeah. Like, I, that game looked phenomenal on the PS4. And as much as I, I really didn't care for the game itself, like, visually, that no, you can't argue how good that game mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, I would argue 100%, Ghost of Tsushima is probably the best-looking video game on the market right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd say the Dwarf Fortress looks better. Fair. <laughs> it's, it's not bad. You, you like those ass I feel like graphics. that's a different kind of a rabbit hole we could go down because, like, yeah. what makes a game look good? Is it, you know, hyper-realism <laughs> or stylization right. or whatever? Because, like, obviously you could... I mean, I've heard the same well, thing about, you know, Octopath Traveler and uh, Breath of the Wild and you know, uh, any well, number of things that just... They take it in a different direction and it works for them. And Ghost, I think, combines the best of both worlds. Mm. Like, it, there are moments where it looks hyper realistic, and then there are moments where it is definitely very stylized, but done in a very visually way. I feel like that's I why I love that... the graphics in Final Fantasy VII Remake so much, is uh-huh. that, like, a lot of them are, like, hyper realistic, but they're still stylized enough that when people are doing, like, totally impossible bullshit, you don't question it. Yeah. No, I'm not. <laughs> I, doesn't hit I, Valley. Right, and that's the question of, you know, how <laughs> intentional is that and how unintentional is it yeah. for, for that? Because there are definitely some games that actually absolutely intentionally go for the Uncanny Valley, and then there are others where they're just like, oh, we didn't mean to do that, but hey, it works. Right, yeah. Wait, there's people who intend to do it? I mean, if you play Detroit uh, Become Human, they they ta- they actually talk about the whole Uncanny Valley thing and how the very first androids in that in that story, okay, it hit it too close, and so they uh, it, the game itself makes reference to it. And it's actually, mm-hmm. yeah, right. So I just don't see that coming up. Go on a lot. to the next PlayStation announcement. Here was Spelunky Two, uh, <gasps> coming with online multiplayer as well. <gasps> 
So this was my favorite announcement of the whole. Thing. I'm overgasped. Yeah, I. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't play the original Spelunky, but it's one of the games that, Me you know, it's, it's one of those things that you, <laughs> you just never it, hear anything but positive stuff about. So it, it looked neat. I'm not, like, over the moon about it, but it, it looks neat. And uh, the other one, I like I said, just only positive things. So hopefully I might check it out. I might not. I'm not sure. Um, yeah. I think it looks really cool, and for from not having played the first one, like it kind of came out of left field when I saw it. I was just like, "Whoa, this game looks incredible! Mm. I gotta play it." Okay, has anyone here played Spelunky besides me? Yes, me. Oh dear. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's just you and me, Derek. Derek, you uh, wrote a whole book about it, even about the design of Spelunky. Goodness. But look, that's that's half of the half of the podcast. So you guys aren't alone. Goodness. Yeah. Uh, next thing was Genshin Impact, which looked surprisingly like Breath of the Wild, but more anime y. Um, I, I said the same thing when I saw that. I was like, uh, right? this is a Breath of the Wild it's, copy. It's okay. like if you made Breath of the Wild, but everybody was like even more trope anime character y. And. It's multiplayer. You know what it, it, doesn't really, look it looked bad. like? Breath of the Wild and Breath of a, and Breath of Fire had a baby, and I was good way of putting. That. I was like, <laughs> you know what? This is actually cool, but I probably will not end up playing. This yeah, game. I'm like, not totally sold on it, but it looks neat. Uh, Aeon Must Die is some sort of futuristic-looking fighting game. It's like, take it or leave it. Uh, Anno Mutation M, some kind of cyberpunk action game. Looked kind of like a neat. It's got some platformy elements and stuff like that. Looks okay. I think cyberpunk's gonna have all the cyberpunk stuff I need. That's probably <laughs> true. <laughs> <Me either. laughs> uh, Bug Snacks got a new trailer. Still looks weird and pointless to me. I'm just not enthralled with anything that Bug Snacks is doing. I think it was cold. cute. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, stylistically, it doesn't look terrible, but it just like I don't understand the point of it, and it's like, what is Bug Snacks? It's like Pikmin, but not Pikmin. Kind of, yeah, because so you're Ant-Man? you're like finding bugs the, that uh, are makes. like food, but they're bugs. Yeah. I don't even know how to describe it. It's just kind of so, weird looking. So you and I don't understand the, the purpose. You play this journalist or reporter who's like heard legends of this island or whatever that has a bunch of bugs that are, used, that are called bug snacks, and you're supposed to go there and basically report on it. And you end up getting there, and some whole bunch of villagers who are there who like either own these bugs or encounter them regularly, and you end up basically having to help them either capture them in some way or like figure them out it's it's really weird but oddly interesting in some aspects sounds like a palate cleanser if nothing else it's like pokemon snap pokemon and uh oh kind kind of sort of final fantasy in some ways like all mixed mashed together and it's really weird mm. next postmodernism of video games Next announcement was Vader Immortal, which is a PSVR Star Wars game uh, releasing August 25th. And I was like, 
I feel like if you told me about this game and I didn't watch the trailer, I would have been, like, hyped for it. But, like, watching the trailer, I was just like, eh. I'm so upset. I just... <laughs> about that stuff. It's, like, the most generic-looking... You use the force and a lightsaber kind of VR game I could possibly imagine. Doesn't look awful, but it looks like... Why bother? I'm not going to buy a PSVR for it. That, that's how I feel about most VR games. That, that is how I feel about most VR games, yeah. That's... And, and I hate that they're they're tarnishing Star Wars and its brand and it's everything that's good about Star Wars mm. with stuff like this. It just makes me upset. Yeah. And it's just indicative of what Disney thinks about Star Wars as a whole. Mm -hmm. uh, Control is getting DLC on August 27th. I haven't played Control, but everybody tells me it's good. Anybody played Control? I know nothing. Yeah. Auto chess what? looks like a slightly more complex version of Clash Royale to me. Is what is what I put in my notes here. It's like chess, but like your guys like move and do stuff, and you can summon new guys later in the turn. It's the, it, it literally looks like Clash Royale to me, gameplay wise. They do but, stuff. Yeah. Wow. It's weird. The pedestrian was a kind of a weird looking game look kind of neat but like weird uh some kind of puzzle game where you try and get a stick figure from one road sign to another it's a very it's a very um platformer puzzle game mm -hmm. uh hood outlaws like and mario but realistic <laughs> yeah ish uh hood outlaws and legends is coming to ps5 in 2021 um you break into a castle and steal some shit, but maybe there's some rival guys trying to steal the shame shit. The shame shit? The shame shit. I'm ashamed of this shit. <laughs> I don't know. It, that, this, again, this looks like another video game that just doesn't need to exist. Yeah, I was like... I don't know what the point there's is. There's a concept there, I think. Uh, Tim Tim had a trailer. It's Pokemon... But it's on PlayStation and it's online. So this okay. It's this also got an Xbox back, though. It brings me back to something that we we're talking about earlier with like copies and Temtem. Much like there's another game coming out. I forget what the call what the name of it is, but it's like literally a Civilization copy except with different graphics. Mm -hmm. And I'm like. Either video game companies are just really running out of ideas, or they literally just want to capitalize off of, you know, the stuff that works, and they have no originality whatsoever. I looked at Temtem throughout it, and I just couldn't stop seeing Pokemon. And yeah, I was like this. What I felt there's like from original the first trailer as well as this one. I'm just like, it's Pokemon, but MMO. It's Pokemon. Yeah. Which, to be honest, which to be fair, uh, Pokemon but MMO. If Nintendo is not going to do it, someone was going to. Do it and profit off it. Yeah, that's, that's fair, fair, but like, if it's not actual Pokemon, it'll just feel like it's like, why couldn't it be actual Pokemon? Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, okay, what's better, Temtem, but MMO Pokemon or Pokemon Go? Like, those are your options. I mean, I would rather have Pokemon Go to be honest. I actually least, like you know, regularly play Pokemon Go still. It's kind of an apples and oranges comparison. Yeah. Like, a, I mean, I would say I would rather have. Uh, I would rather have Pokemon Inc. come out with a uh, an MMO, even though I know it's probably not going to happen. I would rather see them do it than have some company just randomly knock off their 
their product and then try and sell it as their own when in reality well, just you snooze you lose <laughs> oldest I, rule in the book no, but it's not you snooze you lose like the, like literally you could have almost a copyright claim on this on this product it's <laughs> the same thing with the new, with the new you, you know you, you Nintendo couldn't. tried to copyright sanity meters I, I do okay, I, I, I do want to uh, <laughs> I do want to point this out no you would not have a copyright claim on a game like Temtem you, and you would, you that's would because, have... and this this is like something that's been pretty thoroughly settled yeah. in copyright claims against games in the past. Through right. games that have been much closer in terms of um, being ripoffs. Uh, well, that's that's the fun thing about law is that just because a precedent has again, been not a... doesn't mean that it's not going to go through. Like, I mean, it, it uh, authors across. The world have been hit with copyright claims for less and been screwed by it. So I don't yeah, know. Like, it that's, could the, be. the real issue is not having money to fight it. It's oh it, yeah, it has, no, it has nothing to do with the uh, has nothing to do with the legal status of the thing. Mm. Again, not a lawyer, but from, from a creative standpoint, I just look at it and I'm like, for shame, because you you don't need to rip something off completely and be so unabashed about it. And actually, just come up with your own shit, and because you can, there, there are how many games that try and and do the Pokemon thing, you know, and and have at least original ideas. I mean, you could argue that Monster Hunter and Pokemon were both born from the same concept, but did things very, very differently. Yeah. So I don't know. I I feel like they could have gone to the same well without being the almost exact same product with a different look. You know what I mean? Well, ultimately, if you're right in your assessment, that game will fail, and it will be replaced by something that succeeds. Fair. And and the yeah, for, from my standpoint, I, this is a game that I will completely pass up on because because of that. Mm-hmm. All right. Last uh, announcement of the PlayStation uh, state of play was Godfall which we've known about for a while, and I think this was a really strange thing to kind of end on, because it's like, it's already known, we already have gameplay of it, we already have, like, we've seen a ton of this game, I'm like, why didn't you end on Crash? Crash is like a much bigger announcement, and you started with that instead of ending with it. I don't know. You know, you gotta end kind of mad. Gotta end meh. Yeah. I don't think they had a plan, really. So, like, <laughs> you're saying that Crash 4 was was a be- was the best way to end it, but then how would they start it? Because they want to... They obviously, from a marketing standpoint, they want to start mm. with a bang, and obviously they want to end with a bang, too. But I don't think they really had anything to end with. Yeah. You know. But I don't know. I feel like... <laughs> I feel like, in general, you should put your strongest point last. You know, that's something that, like... Fair enough, but then you also run into the issue of well, if you don't start but with if, a bang, if you don't have anything worthy of starting with a bang, then minutes. why did you why did you make this presentation in the first place? <laughs> so There's we're our argument. Optimal <laughs> bangs per period I think, of time. Yeah. I don't know because like I, I didn't think, think most the of the I, I didn't think any of these things were like bad announcements, but I guess I kind of see what you're saying with there wasn't any like wow announcements, but. I don't know. It's the I, pandemic issue, I feel, because possible. like right now, they—I mean, it's the same thing. Movie, movies, and TV. Like, there's just there's not a whole lot 
going on and being developed or at least being worked on with any heavy amount of, of effort mm. because you know we're undergoing a worldwide crisis right now and where work is very difficult to do and accomplish in this time mm -hmm. and so you know when they they're trying to kind of get back on their feet so they do this big presentation but they just they don't have anything in the tank because nothing is in the tank yeah so I, I think at least they tried. They came out with some stuff. There's definitely some stuff mm. in it that I'm excited about. I agree. I don't think that was the one they needed to end on. Yeah. But I don't really get anything better either. So I also feel like kind of they're trying to hype up Godfall a lot more than I feel like I can get hyped up for it. Might be part of my problem with it too. Because I'm just like, I don't know. I've watched all of the trailers so far and stuff. And I'm just like, it looks okay. Probably not going to get it. Right. It doesn't look yep. great. It doesn't look terrible. So I'm like, I'm not sure why I should care. Um, and I think one of the yeah. the biggest pitfalls of that was the fact that they're like marketing it as a PS5 game, which is unfortunate because if that's what they're marketing for PS5, then there's going to be a lot of people out there who are like, well, I guess I don't really need a PS5. Right? Yeah, I, I, I felt that was like really weird at the Game Awards, how they showed that off as literally the first PlayStation 5 gameplay ever. And it was just yeah. like that like I don't see why that couldn't run on like a phone. Or PS4. Or PS4, yeah. I'm <laughs> just like it doesn't look bad. It's, I don't know. I'm, I'm just like don't see any good reason to be excited about it and uh, yeah. Just weird. But maybe that's just me. Anyways, uh, shall we get into our video game topic for the day? Oh shit, we're not even... Wow, okay. Yeah, yes. so... Uh, a lot of news came out. <laughs> yeah, now that we're out of all that news. We had a lot of news this week, which is funny, because last week our news was Cuphead is on PS4. Good news. <laughs> I like it. It was good news, but that was it. It was funny how that Gold. works. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so we're going to talk about uh, video games and how to make a good hard mode therein, uh, which is a funny story that Chris and I um, talked about this on a previous podcast episode that uh, turned out I was I, I had the settings not on correctly, and I was only recording his audio and not my own. So, <laughs> oh no! Yeah, we uh, could not actually use that episode, so we were like, "Let's just save this for another time when we got a couple of guests on or something." So, uh, this should be this should be fun. Um, so, yeah, uh, what do you guys think makes a good hard mode? Uh, slash, like, is it necessary to make a hard mode? Is does a hard mode make a game better or worse? Or I, I think, don't know, just kind of all the things that go into this. Go ahead, Taylor. I I, I kind of I think we should define this a little bit more because you know you've got games that are inherently hard, you know, a lot of your Dark Souls, Bloodborne's, your Neos, mm -hmm. and then you have games that are normally okay and then have a specific mode dedicated to increasing. Yeah, I think mostly what we're talking about is the latter, uh, where you've got like an extra mode to go through at the end after you've already beat it, or if you just want the challenge right from the get-go, then you put it on hard difficulty or uh, whatever. Actually, uh, and as a person who routinely plays games on hard mode for hard mode's sake, 
I think the best indicator of hardbone done correctly is if I can play in hard mode the first time I've played a game and still have a chance of success. Hmm. For instance, Breath of the Wild, I never played normal mode. I just played Master Quest the first time I played it. Mm -hmm. And that was a delightful experience. It felt like that was how the game was meant to be played. Because I actually had to think about food. I had to think about tactics when dealing with enemies. I couldn't just hit them with whatever I had lying around my inventory, you know? Yeah, I kind of get that because I went back through. I got uh, Breath of the Wild on day one. So, you know, at that point, the DLC wasn't out. I couldn't play on Master Mode. Right. Uh, So... Um, I, I have played through on Master Mode afterward, and I think Breath of the Wild really has a unique way of going about having a hard mode, too, because um, the way that it does it really is kind of interesting and almost unique just to Breath of the Wild, that, like, on Master Mode, it's like there's just, you know, the enemies are harder, and uh, they the way they heal over time just makes you think about the whole game differently. Uh, so I think that was a pretty successful hard mode, especially, uh, I think it was a fun way to go through the game again. And e- even if that's not your first time, you know, cause that's usually how I do. Cause I'm, I'm more casual on my first playthrough. I'm just like, see, you're a normal person. Yeah. I'm just like, fun. I don't have time the- for like all the bullshit that hard mode will do unless I really like a game and then I'll, but it's not bullshit. and I'll want to go through it again. It's just different. It depends on the game. Because sometimes it's just extra hard for bullshit reasons because they want to make it hard for hard's sake so they don't really do anything interesting to make it hard. And yes, and the they just one make way the enemies have more HP or something dumb Yeah, like just that. the more yeah. hit points thing where your shit breaks faster. Those are annoying <laughs> attributes. But in Breath of the Wild, they do that, but it forces you to approach it differently. And those different approaches are interesting mm-hmm. yeah. because it forces you to use game mechanics that otherwise you might just ignore. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with both of you on this point with with Breath of the Wild specifically in that for one thing I don't think Breath of the Wild is inherently a hard game to begin with, mm-hmm. and I even with Master Mode I don't find Breath of the Wild that hard. Yeah, but I like what they did with it to increase difficulty because as you both pointed out well you know it makes you think about things differently it doesn't necessarily i think make the game harder it just changes your approach yeah. to to have to play the game and i love that i think that hard mode doesn't necessarily have to be hard but it should force you to think in different ways than you normally would and this comes back to something that i've always maintained in video games and that i love like that sort of thing and i hate artificial difficulty aka the shao Kahn effect where a video game arbitrarily makes a fight difficult for no other reason than just to be a pain in your ass. And Mortal Mm -hmm. Kombat, as much as I love the Mortal Kombat series, has always done this with their boss fights. You know, give Shao Kahn, he's armored through all of his attacks, so he just hits you for free, you know, for for no fucking reason. Mm -hmm. Like, I get it, and I get that, you know, especially back in the day when, when MK3 first came out, like, there's not a whole lot that they can do to make a boss more difficult yeah. than it already is, other than better AI, which isn't something that we had back then. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and that, I think it's why I like Dark Souls and Bloodborne a lot, because, again, you could argue that those games aren't inherently difficult for for someone, but, like, if the average person is to play a Dark Souls or a Bloodborne game... They're going to get thrashed pretty hard a lot. 
and only people who are really used to thinking about games differently when they're presented with a challenge or presented with a set of mechanics. Uh, so, like, you know, in Dark Souls and Bloodborne, the roll and dodge mechanic as being your, your savior, mm-hmm. your saving grace. Um, and your equipment isn't actually really all that important. Like, you can wear whatever you want in most Dark Souls and Bloodborne games and still beat the game just fine. It's it's more along the lines of thinking, okay, how do I approach this fight? What does this boss do or this enemy does that, you know, opens itself up? Like, it makes you think more about how to approach things as opposed to, I just need to keep swinging until I defeat this boss. And I think that's the essence of it right there changes how you approach challenges mm-hmm. it makes them more interesting there yeah um so one thing that we talked about uh last time chris and i talked about this was um i brought up final fantasy 7 remake because it has a kind of a different sort of take on hard modes because the hard mode for that one isn't available when you start the game you have to beat the game first and then you unlock hard mode uh, but the advantage to that is that the hard mode is actually designed basically specifically for your a level capped person. So your, your level cap in that game is level 50 and every level in the rest of the game on hard mode is just designed as a challenge for a level 50 character, but they're different styles of challenge for that character. Uh, and it, it uses a lot of the same concepts that the core game does, but it, it kind of expands upon them in some cases. And uh, so I, I think it, it had a really unique approach to it. Uh, and I really liked going back through that game on hard mode because it specifically was like, uh, it, it felt like just an end game challenge. You know, it's like in, you know, an MMO or something where you get up to the end game level and now you can do all the quote-unquote real challenges right and it's just uh kind of a like okay i've done everything else now i I can do this so i think that's a perfectly valid way to do it because the quote-unquote hard mode in this case is just a different game Hmm. almost sounds like yeah and I, f- I do have I, an example of bad hard mode. Yeah, definitely. Go <laughs> for it. So recently I was playing a game called Cthulhu Saves the World, which is just cheap as heck. <laughs> RPG on Steam I got for less than a dollar or something. <laughs> but being me being me, I'm like, I've never played this game before. Let's put it on insane difficulty, which is the difficulty above hard. And obviously it forces me to use all the game's mechanics, but there was definitely a lot of time where I was just grinding for XP so that I mm-hmm. could use the game mechanics to move forward. Yeah. Difficulty. That's a kind of a thing where I, I feel like sometimes difficulty just means more grinding, which was kind of yes, my problem. Yes, but then there's a new challenge. One of the things I've also been doing recently is replaying... <laughs> Memorize the keystrokes. Right, yeah. Because... Uh, <laughs> Recently, I've also been replaying Tales of Vesperia, which I really like, but on regular mode, I forgot just how grindy the Tales games are, and so I put it on easy, not because I couldn't do it, but because I was like, I don't want to dedicate the time necessary to grind this much. I'm like, I already beat most of this game on its original release. Um, You know, I'm just like, I want to have a casual replay and just kind of get through it. I'm mostly here for the story. 
Uh, and MMOs are notorious for this, and where, yeah. uh, for example, with World of Warcraft, which is probably one of the most well-known MMOs mm -hmm. in existence, uh, back when Wrath of the Lich King came out, they came out with a uh, a instance, which are basically like the 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 five-man raids and ten-man raids. Mm -hmm. uh, they came out with a heroic dungeon mechanic, which is basically a the same dungeon, but with uh, it's supposed to be "quote unquote" harder, and you get better loot from it. Yeah, I remember so, doing a lot of that uh, back when I played WoW. Right. So the way that they did with did this is they basically just made all the bosses and all the fights. They had a couple of additional mechanics that they didn't have in the original fight, but for the most part, they were pretty much cut and dry the same shit, different day. Yeah. And they increased the health and the damage of the boss, and that was about it. And you know, granted, most of it in preparing for it wasn't actually like relearning the fight or approaching the fight differently. It was just, oh, we now need a higher gear score to take this on because if we don't, we're not going to have the stats or the or the healing or the damage required to take it on. But that yeah. was more than ten years ago. What World of Warcraft does nowadays is a little right. bit different. Yeah, with no, their mythics. But in I fact, think, I actually play I World of Warcraft nowadays, so same. I know a little bit about this. Mm. So nowadays, instead of just giving things more hit points, yeah, I mean, they do that too, more hit points, more damage, but right. they also have modifiers on creatures mm -hmm. that, for instance, one that killed a lot of my group in the past was, oh, now all of the creatures explode when you kill them. Right. And this is like a random quirk of the thing. Or, oh, look, everything does double damage when it's at this hit points. And so those random quirks, they can combine in ways that force you to rethink how you approach them. Right, I, and I, my my only point with this is that I think that what World of Warcraft did ten years ago with Wrath of the Lich King is quite similar to what a lot of MMOs do if they do introduce like a hard mode to their thing. And I think nowadays, modern modern wise, like if I think Final Fantasy fourteen does this in a, in a bunch of different ways, is that uh, you know it's it's a little more evolved now. But I think MMOs are just as guilty now as they were before of. Throwing in the artificial difficulty and not caring so much as changing the approach to things and more along the lines of just saying, we're going to make it harder to make it harder and we'll give you better rewards for it. Mm. But I, I, I would agree that there are definitely some out there that have absolutely learned from, from that, such as World of Warcraft. Mm. Yeah, because it was kind of weird playing at that time because i played a lot of wrath of the lich king that was when i played the most world of warcraft and then i quit after i i got a few characters up to max level in cataclysm but i, I quit after that um but in wrath of the lift in wrath of the lich king i really kind of did like running the heroic dungeons uh just because my favorite yeah, thing fun. to do in that was that i like to do dungeons in general that was my favorite mm. thing to do in the game and I really hated, like, overworld grinding was just... What was your favorite dungeon in Wrath of the Lich King? I ask this of anybody who's a big Wrath of the Lich King In Wrath of the Lich King, um... I'm trying to name the... What's the name of it? Um, Pinnacle something. Oh, okay. Yeah. Ice Crown Citadel, or... Or is it... It's the one with uh, Malagos, right? Let's see. Oh, gosh, it's... It's been so long, I don't remember anybody's name or anything. Hey, which which I'm just one are like, you talking about? Uh, it was, yeah, it was like a big old pillar. There was two dungeons in it, 
and uh, one of them was like uh, like a pretty close to level 80. You could just do it dungeon if you were level 80. And I describe think, the aesthetics. Um, it was it was kind of a big old tower thing. I think. Oculus. Not, yeah, Oculus. Not Oculus. Is what I think you're talking about. No. Yeah, because well, because the second or part of Oculus, you fight at the top of uh, you fight at the very top of it, and you fight with dragons and stuff like that. Yeah, I remember Oculus. That's not it. It was um, it was more of a castle kind of. Utgard Keep. Utgard. Utgard Pinnacle. Utgard yeah, Pinnacle. That one. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. The Keep and the Pinnacle. Both of those were really cool dungeons, and I like how Mine they kind of tied it together. Back. Yeah. Also for Election was my favorite just because Falric and Marwyn were way cooler than they ever were at any other point in Warcraft mm -hmm. when they enter in there and Falric's just like mm -hmm. Fal whoever they chose I don't I still don't know to this day who they chose to play Falric as the voice actor because this was this was way back when I had only just uh, I started doing work for Blizzard Entertainment in various ways uh, as a freelancer uh, during Cataclysm. So this was before I, I started doing anything, got any hints on the background stuff. But man, whoever they cast as Falric, such an insane voice, even without the, the filter layering they did for the Death Knight. Mm -hmm. But he just, his lines like, men, women, and children, none survive the master's wrath. Your death will be no different. I would literally grind the shit out of Halls of Reflection, just to hear that voice line every single time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> my, my favorite dungeon. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, artificial difficulty. Yeah. Um. So artificial difficulty is something that Chris and I both talked about, and I think it was funny. Uh, we talked about it at some point on the podcast, and we had kind of two ways of describing it. That uh, one of them was just like artificially increasing the difficulty by the hit points or or just oh it does more damage you know just easy stuff like that and another way we describe it's, go ahead chris it's pretty my problem with it isn't that i think increasing hit points or damage is necessarily artificial it's that it's lazy it does it makes the game less fun you're not making the game more difficult than a fun Way that's what, that's yeah. why I refer to it as artificial, not not because yeah. of that, but the laziness. Because that was back. my problem with uh, a lot of the Halo games, because I felt like Halo 1 kind of made the uh, enemies kind of seem smarter, and there was more enemies in a lot of places and stuff like that. And then Halo 2 came <laughs> along, and you put it on Legendary, and it's just every elite takes four clips of assault rifle, and they will kill you in three shots of plasma rifle. That's Halo it. 1 was like, definitely that way, too. Halo 1 was that Especially way, but I feel like gold. it was a lot worse as Halo got on. Uh, in Halo 2 and 3, because uh, Halo 1, I feel like... It, 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 that was still a problem, uh, but it was. I felt like it was doable reasonably on Legendary, whereas in Halo Two and Three, I did it on Legendary just from grinding the fuck out of it forever. But it like a lot of the time, I was just asking myself, like, why am I bothering? They just have so no. So what do you think about uh, difficulty, like? Not artificial difficulty, but difficulty levels like with Metal Gear Solid and European Extreme, mm -hmm. and the mechanics that that introduces, such as you know, it game over on alert, 
Um, people do, or weapons do do more damage to you if you do get into alert and you turn that version of it off, or how enemies detect you easier, that kind of stuff. So like, it's like the kind of one mistake and you have to restart the game kind of thing? Not restart the game, but you definitely are done at that mm -hmm. point. You have to reload your save. Reload I think there's a time for that, for like a particular kind of challenge that I'm not like upset about if people enjoy that, but usually I don't enjoy that. But I will say that I have made my own artificial challenges in Zelda particularly. I like to do a lot of three heart runs and stuff like that. And I've done like three heart Iron Man, like if I die once, I'm going to delete my save and start again kind of things just like that. Just as a kind of a fun challenge just because I love playing Zelda so much and I like to, you know, mix it up the way that I play it uh, every now and then. So... I don't think there's anything wrong with that if that's the kind of challenge that you're into, but 99% of the time that's not the kind of challenge that I'm into. Because, like, I I kind of, I'm trying to remember what game it was. I think it was one of the Need for Speed games on original Xbox a long time ago that, like, literally, if you made, like, it, like on the normal difficulty, if you... I don't remember if it actually had difficulty settings, now that I think about it. Sounds but, like Underground or Most Wanted. Yeah, it's probably one of those, because I remember too. playing both of those uh, in Underground 2. Um, I haven't played a Need for Speed game in a long time, but I played a whole bunch of them on the original Xbox and stuff. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, but it was like one little tiny, like, you take this corner too sharp, and you'll, like, accidentally hit, like, a rock or something, then you're totally screwed. You just literally cannot catch up anymore. No matter what car you have, no matter how good of a driver you are in this game, it's like, you're just done. And that, to me, in that setting was not fun. Like, especially in a racing game, I feel like you should have, you know, the ability to come back to some extent. You know, if it's like Interesting one that you bring that up because Mario Kart is infamous for its rubber band effect, where the mm. closer to first you are, the slower your cart goes, and the uh, more in last place you are, faster your cart. Yeah, goes. and it, in Mario Kart 8, it also like gives you better items and you know different kinds mm -hmm. of items depending on what your what place your you're because like in, if you're in first place, you'll pretty much get nothing but green shells and bananas, which you hold behind yourself just so that in case the guy behind you gets another shell or something. Right. Okay, I got my last ditch defense. You know. <laughs> That's the only okay, reason it gives you that. Yeah, and then last place gets like blue shells and um, uh, lightning Beat bolts all the lot. time and all the catch-up items. The bullet bill, yeah, and, and stars and stuff like that. So, yeah. Uh, but I kind of like that in Mario Kart where it's like, you know, you'll get hit by, you know, two or three items in a row sometimes. It's you just uh, Somebody described it to me as you got Mario Karted. <laughs> I'm like, that's a good way of putting it. You know, it's like, I oh, I like hit... those games for that reason. Uh, but it's... I don't Mario know, because it, it, it adds so... this kind of element of chaos to it that it's like, just because you're the best player doesn't mean that you have to win every time because of, you know, that kind of thing. That's one of the reasons I love Super Smash Bros. as well. Is because Unless you understand how that of... thing works and you take advantage of it. <laughs> it, it, it depends on the situation. Um... Yeah, uh, but it's it's like, 
I, I think it evens the playing field to where, like, if you are the best Mario Kart player, you'll probably still win, right? But, every, you know, other people have some kind of chance of, you know, getting you every now and then or something, which I think makes it more interesting than a lot of racing games, where it's just like, oh, I'm ahead of you, you lose. I have the better car, you lose. So some form of catch-up mechanic is probably necessary mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh you don't you don't need to go to the extent that mario kart does yeah where i don't think that's game, necessary for every game but i think i like it okay in mario kart and how casual of a game that that is i think it's very appropriate in mario kart so how would that work in a game like need for speed though because we're talking about a game which or gran turismo where it's a game about racing and where often enough, yes, the better driver wins, but also those drivers with the best cars also tend to have a pretty significant advantage over those who don't. Mm-hmm. And something that I enjoyed about Gran Turismo 3, because I, I kitted out a PT Cruiser and was beating some Ferraris at, at <laughs> certain points, different races. But, you know, in, in those games, you can't... Can you necessarily argue that it would make sense to have some sort of catch-up mechanic, or should it just be based purely on your skill as a driver and your ride? I think depending on the game, I think there's a place for where skill-based driving is, like, the end-all be-all, but, um, I don't know. It's it's an interesting question. It's not a very interesting game to, when you get ahead and then you just stay ahead and there's not much your opponent can do to catch up. Snowballing. I know, I know a bunch of people who disagree with you on that. So, the, so um, there's a lot of good games that have that element in them mm-hmm. where you snow, snowball. Like, most RTS games are like that. But the interesting parts of an RTS game are not A lot the, of MOBAs are like that, too. Yeah, Mo, uh, MOBAs, RTS games. The interesting parts of those games are not the snowballed parts where someone's win is basically all but guaranteed. Right. The interesting parts of those games are securing the win before you win. Or the comeback. or The strategy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If I or, saw... or the early parts of the game where you're not really sure what's going on yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. One of the things I think can go into those in that kind of game sometimes can be like level design. Uh, cause mm. like if there's multiple ways through a course or something like that, which is one of the things I liked about, uh, some of the races in, I think there was one of the need for speed games or something that like had a specific like mode that, um, like, uh, it was like a race, but you're going through the city cause the, it's a big open world game most of the time. And then like your objective is just to get to point B and you can go any way through the city that you want. And and I thought that... I think that kind of a thing is a thing that could work very well. I think it did work. I'm trying to remember which that's Need for Speed this was now. It might have been Underground. That, that, that sounds a lot like Burnout Paradise. Okay, I haven't played Burnout Paradise, but I've played several of the Burnout games. I mean, I, Underground was, was a lot like that, too, where you're pretty yeah. much free roaming. You got into a race or got into something, but mm-hmm. Paradise is kind of what made that famous. Right. Was that the one? Air was that the one where the guy was in a coma? I'm not going to be good to answer that question, am I? Yeah, I'm not sure. I didn't play Burnout Paradise. I played um, Burnout. I think the three first original Burnout 
in the trilogy. One, two, three. Yeah, I think Take I played. Amazing. Yeah, I think I I played all those. Uh, yeah, because two was takedown and three was revenge or something. Yeah, three, I think three was takedown. Maybe three. Oh no, you're right. It, no, two was takedown, then three was revenge, yeah. and then paradise that came out after that. Mm. Um, paradise is for a coma, guy in a coma. I don't remember that. I don't think so. Uh, I'm trying to. There was a game like that. I'm trying to remember which it was. Mm. Was it like a racing game? Uh, yeah, I could have sworn it was like burnout. Or like Burnout San Francisco or something. Hmm. Maybe. I don't know. Doesn't sound familiar to me. Mm-hmm. No, no. I, I'm, I think I am right. Burnout 3, I think, was Takedown, then 4 was Revenge, and then it was Paradise. I gotta look it up now. It's gonna bother me. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Um, so, yeah. Any kind of yeah, Burnout 3 was other takedown. thoughts on how to make a good hard mode or what makes... What makes a bad hard mode, or artificial hard modes, or uh, anything else on this topic, or should we move to our table topic? Actually, I do have one last thing for what makes a bad hard mode, and I think, Sean, you can relate to this. Uh And that's, I think the key to a bad hard mode is when you fail, but you have no idea why you failed. Or at least you felt like you had no way to see it coming. Right. That, that's a great point. Yeah. I I can get behind that because I've had that in, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to think if of if I've had that in a video game before, but I, I, I know why you relate <laughs> that back to me. <laughs> I, 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 I definitely agree. Like, if you have no way of learning from your mistake, how are you supposed to know what... What, or learn how to how to succeed like mm-hmm. it, that's very tough and I think that any game that introduces that as a feature of its hard mode should just not have had a hard mode to begin with mm-hmm. alright although that said Spelunky did have a bit of the second half of that where it's like you could not have seen it coming on your first time but the chain reactions for your demise mm-hmm. are just wonderful. Mm-hmm. And you Bo- can learn from Bashi and I Want to Be the Boss were infamous for that, too. It's just like, you have no idea what you're going through in a level until you die 50,000 times, and then you figure it out. Well, but I Want to I wanna Be the Boss is also kind of a troll game. No, 100%, but at least they did it right, and where you can eventually figure it out. But there are some games where you kind of just got to get lucky, and... You will never know until you deep dive into the game's code or you deep dive into an expert designer's opinion on it before you realize, oh, that's what I was supposed to get from it. And you have no way of understanding that without that information. That information is not presented to you in the game. So, I don't know. Like, uh, and the last thing I wanted to end on because... I had a lot to say about this the first time we did this topic, and I had much less to say this time around because I was struggling to think of what I had said originally, (laughs) Uh, is that hard mode design, each mode has, designing a hard mode is like designing a whole other game. Mm -hmm. It's like designing a whole other game, is that what you said? In that... and it's it's not quite the same as designing a whole other game, but in the sense that uh, you need to 
uh, you need to kind of polish up a game's difficulty. There's an intended kind of experience for you to go through and play. You're going to need to do the same thing for hard mode as well. And anything else is just kind of lazy. Uh, and it so it's you can often have a game where someone thought of one mode as being the intended experience to be played, like Halo's heroic mode. Uh, and then other modes end up being, including easy modes, I'm including easy modes in this, uh, they end up being not quite as good because they got less attention. Right. Because they were like, oh, let's just, they, they just did a numbers tweak. They didn't they, yeah, they that's an interesting kind of a way to kind of turn this topic around also is like as much as you can have an artificial hard mode, you could have an artificial easy mode. Uh, like I feel like is the case in a lot of like in Doom and stuff like that. I feel like most games with easy mode. Yeah, it's like it's just they turn down, you know, everything like that. All they you know there's nothing wrong with that. I'm sure it works for the people that play on easy modes a lot or whatever. But but the game ends up can end up being less fun overall. Yeah. And that's the case with easy mode or with hard mode. And that's kind of what I'm experiencing with Tales of Hesperia, which I was saying. Because, like, it does feel kind of cheap to be going through. Because, like... I don't have to grind, which was my big issue with replaying this game, which was, was just like, I don't have the time to grind, you know, I mean, I, I could if I wanted to, but I don't want to spend as long as I did the first time on this game, basically, is kind of the way I'm looking at it right now. I'm like, so I want to take away the grind, but now that I'm playing on easy mode, like, boss fights, I, I don't even care, I'm just like, just be, 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 and I get through it. Like, that's almost all I do the, the entire game is I'll just auto, just use my regular attacks. I don't, I don't even hardly pay attention to my weapons or whatever. I'm just like, like every now and then I'm just like, I, I'm a bit of a completionist. So I'm like searching through and getting almost all the treasures. Yes. And then later I'll be like, oh, I found a weapon. I'll equip this. And then I'll check through all my other characters. I've been like, oh, I'm sitting on three weapons that are better than what they're using. What the hell am I doing here? Because I'm just on, <laughs> I'm on so much autopilot on this game that I'm You may just, as well be watching a Let's Play at that point. Almost. But I don't know. I, I like it better than a Let's Play because I don't know. Just, he's still playing. Yeah, it. playing it myself. But you could play something more... else on the side while watching a Let's Play. <laughs> yeah, but then I wouldn't be paying attention to it. You I mean, you say that, but I'm on the game right now. So. Right. I don't know. Yeah, but having a conversation while playing a game and playing a game and paying attention to, like, a story of a game while playing right, a Right, yeah, because that's the big thing about, uh, about... <laughs> the Tales series, and, and like most JRPGs in general, like, I'm there for the story, almost exclusively. You know, I'm not yeah. huge into the gameplay of most JRPGs. Some of them I really, really like, um, but mostly I'm there for the story. Anyways, shall we get into our table topic? Yeah. Yeah, so, table topic for the week is, uh, kind of related here. Uh, how challenging should a tabletop RPG be for players? and uh, the GM. 
Uh, and what Chris and I kind of decided last time was for the GM into this question, we kind of mean like, uh, should it be, should it entail a lot of complicated design? Should it be hard to run in the moment and kind of stuff like that? So, um, <laughs> who wants to go first? That is a gnarly topic. So I'll start us off to make up for my earlier silence. Uh, for the player side of things, I think the answer is deceptively simple in that it's hard for me to answer, but it's very, it's easy for me to answer. It's hard to do in practice is make the game the difficulty that is appropriate for the players at your table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or appropriate to the game you want to run. Uh, and hope that the players are willing to adapt. Right. As would be the case with uh, some games. Mm. Yeah, so for me, I, I feel like it should be hard enough that they have the possibility of death and the possibility of, like, total failure and, the, you know, the world comes crashing down around them. Uh, but not so hard that, like, every, like, I don't think there should be a TPK every friggin' session, right? So, I, I feel it's like... not a TPK if one guy survives. <laughs> Technically true. <laughs> I Technically is the best kind of truth. <laughs> but actually, um, the uh, example to share is when we first started playing our high light lethality D&D games with another DM, we had a few training wheels mechanics that were there to kind of ease us into it. And when we started, they, when we first started out, you could buy a shield. And a shield had a special property, which it is the training wheel property. And that is that instead of taking damage from an attack, you could just have your shield explode. It just soaks the damage for you, gets destroyed, and it's gone. So what did we do? We brought as many shields as we could carry to the dungeon. But mm-hmm. and w- even though we were doing that at the time, we were always thinking to ourselves, like, how the heck would we ever get through this game without this training? Mm-hmm. And what? And of course, at the time, is like, how the hell are we ever going to get through this game without the training wheel? But over time, we learned more nuances about the game, and we were able to actually play it eventually without those training wheels quite effectively. Mm-hmm. And I think what happened mechanically with that is that the training wheel basically gave us enough breathing room where our 